2: When Jeffrey Fowler entered the Zoom last week, he looked freaky.
0: You are not looking at me. You are looking at my persona, capital P. And that is the slightly terrifying virtual avatar that Apple creates of people who are wearing the Vision Pro to give you a presence in things like FaceTime calls and Zoom chats.
2: Jeffrey is a tech columnist at the Washington Post, and he showed up to our interview wearing Apple's latest product, a face computer called the Vision Pro. These are basically very expensive and very heavy digital goggles. I couldn't actually see Jeffrey's goggles on Zoom, though. Instead, he looked like a bit of a cartoon character, maybe 80% real. Think Tom Hanks in the Polar Express, His hands floated in the frame without being connected to arms, like in a Nintendo Wii game.
0: So what it did is I held the front of the Vision Pro up to my face for a minute and looked around, and it made this 3D map of my features. And then once I put the Vision Pro back on, it's using all of those cameras to track when I move my eyebrows and my mouth and my nose to recreate A virtual version of me for this call. And also, I would just like to say for the record, I do not actually look like a 70s porn star, (laughs) uh, which is what this uh, system makes me kind of look like. I I tried FaceTiming with my two-year-old yesterday where he saw this avatar of me and uh, he yelled and ran away.
2: The Vision Pro was released earlier this month, and since then, the internet has been flooded with photos and videos of people, usually men, wearing this thing out in public. On the subway, out to dinner, driving, you get the idea. Jeffrey has coined the term Vision Bros for these guys. So yeah, most people haven't exactly fallen in love with this thing. Skeptics abound. First of all, it costs $3,500, and it looks ridiculous out in public. Worse, it's glitchy like it's still in beta form. On our Zoom call, Jeffrey's audio kept dropping out again and again.
0: Hello, am I back? That was so weird. I have no idea what happened. And again. Did you? Can you hear me now? Okay, that's so weird. And again. Hi again. I'm so sorry. Clearly, the Zoom app for uh, Vision Pro is not uh, up to snuff. Can you hear me again?
2: But Jeffrey's biggest concern about the Vision Pro isn't the shoddy Zoom quality Or the hefty price tag, or even the disturbing no arms thing. It's something getting less attention.
0: This device collects more data than any other consumer gadget I've ever tried. It is the equivalent of somebody strapping four iPhones onto their head and walking around the street uh, it has 12 cameras, six microphones, a ton of sensors that it's using not just to take pictures of the world around you, but to track all sorts of things about your body and the people around you and the spaces around you.
2: And and what is the worry then? What scares you about that?
0: So what are the rules of the road for who gets to see that data, access it and use it? And what are they going to learn about us from doing that? You can learn a whole lot about people from the data collected by these kinds of devices. In fact, it could in many ways be the ultimate surveillance device. So today on the show,
2: what happens to your privacy when you strap a $3,500 computer to your face? I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about tech, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. So before we talk more about privacy, I just want to make sure listeners understand and I understand exactly what the Vision Pro
0: does, what you can do with
2: it, how it works. Can you give us like the 101?
0: Sure. The 101 is it's a pair of ski goggles or a set of ski goggles that you wear uh, with a tail that's connected to a battery that helps power this thing to keep it running. And inside you're looking at basically screens and the screens try to recreate a view of the actual world around you, but layer into it lots of other digital things. So right now I'm looking at you placed in the room around me, but like you're in an imaginary hovering television screen that's, uh, you know, sitting a couple of feet in front of me.
2: Yeah, I think I read one of the reviews it was about like you could strap it to your face and watch a like a movie and it's just like going to an IMAX theater or something like that.
0: In fact, I did that last night. I watched the season premiere of of Abbott Elementary and I laid down in bed and I looked up and I saw Miss Teagues up there going through her <laughs> her adventures. Um but but unfortunately it kept um the device kept breaking every time I coughed because I have that cough that never ends. Um and it would just it would I would have to reset it.
2: Oh, Well, that's glitchy. That's surprising for an Apple device a little bit.
0: There's a lot in here that's surprising for an Apple device. We're used to these very polished, finished products. Um, And there's parts of this thing where they label it beta. For example, the persona, this virtual uh, representation of me that you're seeing, they label that as a beta product.
2: You wrote about the Vision Pro getting back to privacy. This device collects more data than any other personal device I've ever seen. That's a huge statement. I want to sort of like go through that with you. Um, it seems like there are sort of three main concerns. One is the Vision Pro can map out your surroundings and the inside of your home. Why is that concerning?
0: Well, so uh, this is sort of fundamental to the nature of the technology. As I was explaining before, it layers digital things into a view of the room around you. In order to do that, It has to know what's around you. It has to know, in fact, that there's a sofa right over here so that if I'm going to put my screen with you behind the sofa, the sofa should come in front of it. So it needs this map. I mean, think of the companies and the governments that have taken advantage of the Internet revolution to try to learn all kinds of things about our lives. Um, And with the Web, when it came along, they Developed all kinds of technologies to track what we were looking at on the internet. Cookies, uh, fingerprinting technologies that they used to develop profiles of us that they would then sell to advertisers or to governments, trying to make inferences about what we like and what we don't like, and who we are, and our age, and our gender, and our sexuality, and all kinds of other things. Um, Then along came the smartphone. They could do all of that, but then also see what other apps we were using. They could also see where we were physically we got with GPS. Now we get all of that information plus a literal map of the space in your home. They can see how big is that actual TV on the wall. Um, Do you have a small sofa or a large sofa? Uh, One researcher I was talking to who used to work at Meta, which also makes these kinds of devices, said it could even identify drug paraphernalia on the table in front of you all for the potential purposes of building out that profile of understanding who you are and and peering into your life.
2: And not only can the device map out the room you're in or the location you're in, but it can precisely track your movements. I mean, how can that data be used? How is that different from, you know, my Garmin now?
0: Yeah, this is perhaps the the part of this that most blew my mind when I started talking with uh, the privacy researchers. So um, if you think about the kinds of information that this device needs and is collecting in order to create this virtual version of me that you're seeing right now, it has to know where each of my fingers is so that I can wave them in a ghost-like fashion (laughs) in front of you here. It has to know how my body is moving, how my head is moving, It knows when my mouth is moving up and down. It's watching my eyes go around and my eyebrows. It's also and you can't probably can't tell it. It's also tracking where my eyeballs are looking yeah, so it actually knows so much more than a garmin or an apple watch, which just knows what's on my my wrist here and maybe how fast I'm moving or how much um, activity is going on. This is a complete map of the human body. And it turns out, we're learning from researchers that that data, just about how you move your hands and head, is super unique just to you. So these brilliant, Researchers at Berkeley did this experiment where they uh, they took data that people were posting online from another VR game called Beat Saber. Mm-hmm. This is a really popular game that you play with the MetaQuest devices, and basically it's a dancing game. So with those people's permission, they went in and they tried to see, can we identify, just based on how people move their hands and head, which person is which? And they found that data alone was just as useful, and in some cases more useful than a fingerprint to identify individuals.
2: You layer that on top of facial identification that we already have, facial recognition tech, and that's starting to seem really scary.
0: Yeah. So basically, there's a new way to track who we are in online, in cyberspace. And this is one that we can't cloak because it's our literal bodies. We can't change our bodies. You know, with a web browser, you can, uh, you know, use a better browser like Firefox, but you really can't hide who you, you really are.
2: Mm-hmm. The last privacy concern I wanted to ask you about was the eye movement specifically. The Vision Pro tracks your eye movement. Is that a specific privacy concern also?
0: Some of the privacy experts I've spoken to say that is their number one concern, that it has long been the dream of the um, data broker and app world and Website Maker World to be able to know exactly what we're looking at. Because from that, you can learn a whole lot more about a person. First of all, advertisers could um, be charged up, upsold or charged extra for ads that we actually look at. But you can also, from what you're looking at, uh, learn a lot about someone's desires. You can learn about how I'm, for example, drawn to the baby Yoda that's sitting on the shelf behind (laughs) you. Mm -hmm. And into it from that. Uh, things about my uh, lifestyle and interests, because they're the closest thing to your brain. So if you know what someone's looking at, how long they look at it, how often they look at it, you know a lot about that person.
2: This is scary stuff, but Jeffrey's point isn't that we should all be panicking. He's simply saying that as this new text starts to make its way into our lives, we should be asking a lot more questions.
0: The concerns I am raising are at this point largely theoretical. There is no evidence right now that apps are doing naughty things with our data. But they are the kinds of questions that privacy researchers and advocates say we need to be exploring right now because they will impact the world that comes. So I am not here saying today that wearing this thing is an immediate risk to your privacy and the world around you, but I'm saying that we need to understand how it works uh, because We didn't totally understand how the iPhone worked, and then that had lots of impacts on our privacy.
2: When we come back, why you should care about the Vision Pro, even if you're not ready to strap one to your face.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
2: With all the data this device is potentially collecting, Jeffrey's worried about where it could end up. Between Apple, third-party companies that have apps on the Vision Pro, data brokers, even hackers, there's a lot of places for this data to go and a lot of people who want it. To address these concerns, Apple has put some parameters in place.
0: So Apple as a company has staked so much of its reputation on being good at privacy. In fact, when you set up a Vision Pro for the first time, a screen pops up and says, Apple believes privacy is a fundamental human right. And we are only going to collect data that we need in order to use this device. So Apple clearly knows that there is a lot at stake in collecting so much data in a device that requires it. Um, And it doesn't want to be known as creating the ultimate surveillance device that's out there. Uh, So they have taken some steps here to... Um, limit uh, themselves and third parties from accessing some of the kinds of data we've been (laughs) talking about. Uh, But the question is, uh, there are two questions about that. One, well, what about the things that they haven't limited? And two, how long will will, will the steps they've taken stay in place?
2: Yeah. I mean, they care a lot about privacy, but we know our iPhones are collecting massive amounts of data about us. And yes, they care about privacy, but That data is valuable and it gets shared, right?
0: Right. And there's a fundamental tension um, here for Apple as a corporation. They need third-party companies to make apps, to make experiences, particularly for this new thing, which everybody's trying to figure out what to do with it. Those companies who make those want access to this data, not necessarily for nefarious purposes. They want to know where your fingers are so you can play a really cool board game. But for that to happen, Apple has to grant them access to that data, um, and some of which they haven't so far. And that could help explain some of why this product launched with so little to do in it that's that's interesting or useful or feels fresh and new. For example, among the uh, limitations that Apple put in place uh, at the beginning is apps are not allowed to access the camera in the front of the device to take pictures. This thing has so many cameras, 12 cameras, it's actually able to take a new kind of a, a photo and video that's kind of three-dimensional. And right now, only the Apple app, only the Apple camera app can take these kinds of spatial photos. Um, no other app can do it. Back when the first iPhone came out, actually, also, uh, apps were not allowed to access the camera. Uh, but that did change after after a couple of generations of the iPhone, because apps wanted access to that data.
2: Yeah. Apple starts out on a tight leash, but then it sort of starts letting it go, letting it go, letting it go. You would expect that to happen here.
0: Yeah. The the next area that's, I know, uh, a point of tension uh, with developers is eyeball tracking. So uh, as, the, as the device launches, Apple has said that nobody gets to see what exactly you're looking at, not even Apple. So when you're controlling the, the Vision Pro, the equivalent of moving your mouse around the screen in front of you is where your eyeballs look, mm-hmm. if that kind of makes sense. It's kind of hard to like, get until you're inside there. But your gaze is your, your cursor, and uh, the device is translating your gaze and only lets an app know that you're looking at a specific thing when you select it. So the equivalent of clicking the mouse button on a button. Uh, you do that in the Vision Pro by tapping your two fingers together. Uh, So uh, no app, and not even Apple itself, gets to sort of follow your eyes as they move around the screen from place to place. That is great. Thank you, Apple, for starting at this place of saying, no, this is really, really, really intimate data. Nobody should be able to access it. By contrast, uh, Meta, the company that makes the Quest, the... Sort of to date, the largest selling VR and AR device out there does allow app developers to track uh, to get this data about what you're looking at, mm. um, and uh, once they get your your permission to do so, um, I I do wonder though how how long Apple is going to be able to to hold this line on that data because it is you know the, the companies that are salivating at the possibility of accessing it are many.
2: Apple doesn't necessarily want the data, but it wants people to use the Vision Pro, and for that to happen, that third parties have to start using the Vision Pro, and for them to want to do that, they have to get some of that data just to make
0: good apps, right? Absolutely, that's the fundamental tension in this device. And uh, I've already heard from app developers that they're that they're really hoping hoping that Apple opens up so they can they can do more things.
2: And not all the a lot of the biggies haven't made apps yet for vision pro am i right youtube hasn't netflix hasn't what's going on there
0: yeah so far they're they're missing from from this device even though they exist on other vr devices i can't speak for them why they chose not to do this uh maybe they're playing doing a little wait and see or maybe they're hoping that uh that apple does open up some of this more i mean could you imagine how valuable it would be for netflix to not only know what we look at but like when we avert our eyes from the screen or which portion of the screen. I mean, these companies, these media companies are now tech companies, right? And they want all the data they can get.
2: Did Apple respond to your column about privacy concerns? What have they said about this?
0: Uh, The short answer is no. Um, Apple did not provide me a Vision Pro to test. I bought one at the store, like everybody else. Apple also declined to uh, do an interview with an executive who's in charge of thinking about privacy. It declined to answer my questions about things like the Berkeley research into how hand tracking and head tracking can be used to identify people. It also didn't answer my questions about how it's going to vet apps to make sure that they are not doing naughty things with the data that they collect. It did, however, reiterate some of the points that I've already made with you here about the things that it is limiting from day one, including uh, limiting access to eye tracking data, limiting access to the camera on the front, and also um, to gain access to information about the room around you, the user does have to say, "I give permission." So it's a little bit like when an app asks you to track your location, you have to say yes once for it to for it to happen.
1: Mm.
2: But I mean, you can't use the Vision Pro if you don't give permission. I mean, it's all if, if the Vision Pro isn't collecting all your data, then you're not getting the full experience.
0: Yeah, it's really unfortunate to me that in America, and this is not just uh, relates. This doesn't just relate to the to the Vision Pro, but uh, in America, the legal regime we have for privacy is all you have to do is click a button that says "I consent," and then anything can happen. Uh, that's really unfortunate, and that's why a lot of privacy advocates, including me, say we need a real privacy law in America that does more than this, you know, facade of "I consented, so it's all okay."
2: I mean, if a product already exists with Meta's product, that's way cheaper. Why is Apple's product getting so much attention? I mean, had the cover of Vanity Fair recently was Tim Cook, you know, wearing these things. Why does it matter?
0: Because there's no larger More valuable corporation in the world than Apple. Actually, we need to, I would probably need to check the value stock valuations today, but they're a $3 trillion company. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Depends on the day, but they're a $3 trillion corporation, and no company has more impact on our personal technology than Apple. The choices that it makes in terms of what products to come out with and how to design them ripple across every other facet of our technology. And Apple has decided that the next thing that's going to come, the next big thing after the iPhone is going to be some kind of face computer. And so much so that it has put out one and said, let's start building it. Uh, So uh, I'm inclined to believe Apple when it says that it thinks this is the next big thing. And the reason to care about this now, even in this sort of early beta format that keeps crashing on us while we're trying to have a conversation is because the choices that Apple makes now will impact what comes down the road, right? When Apple first made the iPhone and it put out an app store for the iPhone, in those early days, it allowed apps to access a very special kind of identifier about the user of the phone. It turns out that that little identifier that they could all access created a giant online advertising industry for apps right, that were tracking what we were doing and figuring out all the connections between who you were and what you did and what apps you used and what you looked at. Um, uh, Apple had to, two years ago, um, kind of retroactively try to shut that down in a way by finally forcing the apps to ask for your permission before they do that. But it's a great example of a choice that they made early on that had ramifications. But,
2: I mean, Google is a similarly large influential tech company. And it came out with a little something called Google Glass more than 10 years ago. It was supposed to be a revolutionary type face computer thing. And people freaked out about privacy back then. But then no one really bought them. They discontinued them. It it was it was turned out to be kind of like a nothing burger. I mean, again, like, why is this going to be any different? And it costs so much more money, you know, and people look just as ridiculous, if not more ridiculous than they did when back when we called them, you know,
0: glass holes or whatever. So let me say first, I am not here today predicting that the Vision Pro is going to be a success. (laughs) Um, I think that that is a huge question mark. But one dirty little secret of Silicon Valley is that Google is terrible at making consumer products Mm. and launching them. It has not a clue. Um, even if they have really cool technology, that company like bungles, rollouts, and launches. And when we think back to uh, Google Glass, one of the many stupid mistakes they made with it was they made it a super elite thing. So not only was it very expensive, but you had to write an essay to get one. You had oh, no. to know somebody else who recommended you to get one. So it became so associated with elites that it was kind of doomed from the beginning for that. So...
2: I mean, I guess my big question overall takeaway on an episode about privacy and the Vision Pro is, is anyone not going to buy the Vision Pro because of privacy concerns?
0: Right now, I think people aren't going to buy the Vision Pro because there's not much to do in it and there's not much reason for it. This is not the product that Apple really thinks is going to change the world. The product that Apple knows is going to change the world is when they figure out how to squish all of those sensors and probably some even more of them into something that looks like something we're very used to, which is glasses. But I think we should be talking about the privacy concerns right now because Apple is making decisions and app developers are making decisions about what, what data they collect and how they can use it that will have ramifications in five, 10 years if and when we have a device that we all really are using. And then we're going to have to live in that world of surveillance.
2: Jeffrey, thanks for coming on. You bet. Jeffrey Fowler is a tech columnist at The Washington Post. And that's it for the show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell, Patrick Fort, and Anna Phillips. Our show is edited by Mia Armstrong Lopez. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also a part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. If you're a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. We'll be back next week with another episode. I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary, and you can catch me on Slate Money every Saturday. Thanks for listening.